Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. Okay, so I, I had a very good um, beginning for the talk, but there's something else that came to mind, and now it's like, oh, God, I wish I could just do what I say I would do. <laughs> but it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> no, it's just that as I was um, walking to come here, in the semi-darkness, and um, uh, I was reminded of um, something that I read a number of years ago, and I think it came from uh, Lady Sayada, who's uh, the teacher of Masi Sayada. So that's kind of the lineage, one of the lineage in which we're practicing. Lady Sayada, Masi Sayada, Sayada Upandita. Joseph Goldstein, Sharon Salzberg, <laughs> James Barraz, <laughs> Pascalito. <laughs> but anyway, so it's a different style. <laughs> than, um, so, um, in this, there was this um, little snippet about. I might have adapted it over the years, but the the the, the gist is the same. Is when you see uh, somebody walking in a room, coming in a room, when you see them over there, and when you see them here. It's not the same object, it, and it's not the same person. It's, uh, but there's a feeling of continuity that fools us, you know. And anyway, so as I was walking, I could, I had the experience of like, oh, there's a kind of a experience of me, you know, there, and then a few feet after, here's a completely new, very similar, you know. The lighting is the same. The, the, but it, this, this is a new form, a completely new form. You know, earlier it was like this, <laughs> and now it's like that. You know, and it's very interesting to watch. And then I came came here and went to grab. I was walking this way, went to grab this uh, little le- lecturer lecturer thing. And as I bent down, so there was this experience of Pascal. And then there was this experience of Pascal, you know, and uh, and this constant death of Pascal, and this constant rearising of it, and um, so that was kind of um, experiencing life uh, in the. In a, in a Dharma way, in one of the many Dharma lenses, you know, through uh, just seeing in this way how impermanent 
impermanence uh, shows up. And uh, it brought some, uh, some joy. There was some, uh, some, some joy of not being caught in, uh, in the story of s- some kind of s- conceptual trance-like fiction about something, you know, but just uh, being here now and here now and here now, you know. And the freedom of that. So happy that this Pascal disappears every few seconds <laughs> and reemerges. <laughs> uh, anyway, so so the the real beginning of this talk was going to be. Sometimes uh, all of us sitting here like this, I don't know if it ever crossed your mind, but it did cross my mind a few times in my years of practice that sometimes we look like um, hen, hens. <laughs> so we're sitting there, we're not exactly sure why, you know, but something is compelling us to sit here, you know. We just sit, sit. At some point we just stand up, go for a walk. <laughs> then something's calling us back. So we sit again, you know. At some point we stand up, we go eat a little bit. <laughs> then we come back and we sit again. And, uh, and we're sitting, the image that I have is we're sitting on the egg of awakening, you know. <laughs> We're kind of warming something up slowly, you know, with patience, with uh, sometimes with doubt, sometimes with, you know, with all kinds of states of mind, but we keep sitting and attending. Uh, and um, I was reading, um, again, this um, honorable, venerable Lady Sayada, uh, yesterday or two days ago, in the manual of Buddhism, and uh, he was saying that um, the bird is delivered from the mother's womb as an egg. And then the bird is um, freed from the, the egg in the nest. And then a third time, the, the bird is delivered delivered from the nest as he flies. So kind of three births you could uh, think of. And he was saying the yogi is um, delivered from hindrances by pacifying the mind. And then slowly is delivered um, from ignorance uh, through insight. And then is delivered a third time like the bird from... um, the force of becoming or wanting to exist in this way or that way, or uh, a last time through uh, the seven factors of awakening. 
So guess what the theme of the talk could be tonight. <laughs> you have three chances. <laughs> I'd like to talk um, a little bit about the seven factors of awakening. Um, so these uh, seven qualities of mind that we are developing as we are practicing here um, are known to be, uh, uh, when perfected, what uh, will help the mind uh, create the right conditions for the mind to really see perfectly clearly uh, into the nature of things and then find uh, release. Yeah. And these uh, seven qualities... Sometimes they're presented as they one leads to the other in a kind of a conditional sequence. Yeah. And sometimes they're presented more as a spiral or a vortex. So they're built on each other. And I used to think of a spiral going up, but the more I practice, the more it feels like it's a spiral that is somewhat somehow going down, like grounding, like bringing more confidence, more clarity, uh, um, stability. Yeah. Um, so I'll uh, name them in the, the, the sequential order as they would influence, influence each other. So the first one is um, sati or mindfulness. Yeah. Ever heard about that? <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> So mindfulness that would uh, lead to investigation of Dhamma, and we'll talk more about this. And this would lead to uh, energy, and then that would lead to um, uh, enthusiasm or joy or something of that nature, rapture, high energy, high joyful energy. And then that would lead to uh, calm or tranquility. And that would lead to um, concentration, which would uh, then lead to uh, equanimity. Yeah. And equanimity would be the kind of door opening uh, uh, onto Nibbana, or complete release of heart and mind. Yeah. There's, uh, so you can see it as a line, you can see it as the spiral or vortex where they build on each other. And when I see, see it, I also, it's an invitation for in practice to see, maybe it's not the right word, maybe it's more like feel it, uh, know it, in experience how there is, uh, they condition each other, are the condition for each other in your experience as you're sitting here for the next uh, days and weeks, and or how they have a vortex-like or spiral-like nature, or uh, the way it's often presented also is a, if you imagine a seesaw, where the kids go on, and uh, you have on one side three uh, of the factors that are energizing, and three of the factors that are uh, calming or stabilizing. And right in the middle, you have uh, mindfulness and how uh, they, um, 
get out of balance or rebalance the how sometimes the energy is really high and uh, by bringing calm it r- brings some equilibrium in there or when there's a lot of the calming factors uh, very active in the mind very uh, uh, maybe active is not the right word very uh, passive no very <laughs> very uh, present in the mind and the mind gets extremely calm but there's not enough energy and then there's the sinking mind yeah so i've talked about this in uh, some of the interviews with a few of of uh, you because uh, i think it's uh, it's an extremely um, rich field of experience it's a it's a it's a good subject of attention uh because it can help uh, balance the mind uh, it can being attentive to their presence or absence can uh, can uh, help them come or the appreciation of them can really uh, you know there's there's a way where uh, this morning alicia alicia was there alicia is here <laughs> uh, alicia was uh, talking about you know focusing on the kilesas and um, a way that I see, um, I see them being um, amplified in my experience is when I recognize, hey, Pascal, there is some quietness here. There's some energy here. When there's this appreciation this, and feeling it, it uh, helps them grow. Yeah? There was somebody, I think it's from the world of fundraising, but was saying... Uh, uh, what you appreciate appreciates yeah so it's good to be aware of the presence of uh, of these in the mind i'm going to talk about them separately um but in experience what i found is um sometimes they can be recognized very clearly separately but sometimes it it's more like they have um, it, they have the it's a little bit like um, the ingredients in a recipe. So you, you, you're eating the chocolate cake, but you can't separate the egg from the flour, from the milk, butter, chocolate, you know? There's chocolateness that can be recognized, but sometimes it's, uh, it's a little bit more mixed in than that, you know? It's a, so, and that's uh, often how I think about the, all these Buddhist lists and all these the theories. It's like we may... We theorize something we make it into little groupings for for to help investigation and understanding but in actuality it's we're much more organic than that much more uh, um, so anyway that's my little bit of um, something so um, oh it said also that um, when hearing a discourse on these seven it can actually um, uplift the mind and even um, um, it's known in the discourses a few times you see this where uh, ailments are um, uh, healed through uh, hearing about these sevens. My sense is that when they're known in experience and you might have this with other subjects of the Dhamma is hearing about it is like calling forth these energies sometimes. and uh, for me, in the last two days, they were very much in my mind, actually a lot in the, the week, because when meeting the yogis, I 
It's often a way that I see, I evaluate in my, in my way what's going on in the room or in the report, you know, that I, I can, uh, I, I use this lens a lot. But in the last two days, a lot more. And okay, here we go again. So just having them in mind was bringing a lot of, um, a lot of joy and ease uh, in my day. And uh, even, I'm, I'm going to be on holiday, as you all know, <laughs> in a couple of days. <laughs> and uh, very short-lived, probably. But, um, but then I, was, uh, I had the chance to, um, I don't know if it's the right thing to say to people who are in silence for a month or two weeks or two months or a month and a half, whatever. But I was thinking I could actually visit some friends in the Bay Area, the, being from Montreal. You know, I don't come here very often. And by working on these seven, I was like, I think I want to hang with these seven friends. <laughs> you know, I really want to protect uh, these in the next few days. You know, and and so my mind was more like uh, thinking of uh, going along alone for a long walk by the ocean or s- something. Very much having in mind that I could spend time with these guys. You know, um, that bring a lot of ease in the mind. Yeah. Um, so, the first one is uh, is mindfulness, and the, the sati, often translated as uh, also remembering. Uh, this aspect of uh, mindfulness of remembering, remembering uh, two things that um, we often very much forget. So, uh, so this remembering. Uh, sati of um, remembering the present moment, you know. So we're we're gone in some. And the way I think about it is always this. Yesterday, Carol was talking about. Uh, was it yesterday? Anyway, at some point, Carol was talking about self-referencing and uh, this kind of uh, obsession. And I I think of it a lot as the fiction or the trance very seductive trends of moi, moi in the world, or me and my group, or me and what I want. You know, it takes different shapes and forms, but uh, so this kind of obsession of fascination that we have with uh, the moi story, you know, and how suddenly mindfulness can remember being here, you know, that there's something happening here. And also remembering the second thing I think of is remembering itself. You know, mindfulness, remembering that it, it can exist, it can be there, it can be welcomed again, is a good thing. Yeah. It's said that appropriate attention, so this mindfulness, is, uh, is feeding the seven factors. So they come in the wake, that's another Im- image. So... It's probably one for you in there. Seesaw, vortex, spiral, line. Uh, what is the one now? N- wake. <laughs> in the wake, so when we put forward, put forth, or put in front of us this mindfulness, in the wake of it, naturally, will grow uh, these uh, six other qualities of mind. Yeah. And when there is absence of mindfulness, that's a very fertile ground uh, to f- nourish, develop, cultivate the hindrances. Yeah. 
So just one story for the, just for the plain fun of it. Um, one time I was actually the first time I sat a retreat uh, in the West at the Insight Meditation Society. I was sitting. Um, you, m- some of you will remember for having been there with, in the old um, in the old version of the um, Dharma Hall there, where there was the red carpet and a stage. And then it dropped like this. So some of the yogis were sitting on the red carpet, a little elevated. And the teacher was a little bit above, if I remember. Yeah, there was a few steps. Then this red carpet. And then the rest of the yogis would be about where the, the wood line is there. And so I was sitting just there, just at the edge of the, of the stage. And um, so there was not much uh, appropriate attention going on. And uh, the, there was a discourse being given like now, a teaching on the Dhamma. And I was sitting uh, there, about where you are uh, there. And, uh, and I started to, um, to have thoughts about the fact that it was way too long, this discourse, and it had to finish. And also that the sound was way too loud in the room. And uh, I was just above the speaker, I believe. And, and, and suddenly I, I got really agitated about the fact that it, it really had to, f- to end, you know, it was way too long and, and also way too, very actually dangerous for the ears, you know, and, <laughs> and that I had to do something. If nobody was going to do something, I had to, to do something and actually to save my ears f- for the eardrum from exploding, <laughs> I actually had to uh, leave the room. So I, and so I was thinking about all this and, uh, and so I stood up to uh, leave the room. <laughs> But I had no appropriate attention whatsoever, so I had not noticed that my legs uh, had actually fallen asleep. <laughs> so I stood up to leave the room, but it didn't. Uh, it was very impermanent. <laughs> I existed just for a moment as somebody standing up, and the next moment I was like laying flat on the on the. On the on the floor, and as I landed, my my uh, my uh, jaw hit the stage. You know, like it, so it went like this, bang and bang, and it made this very strong noise. And it, and uh, and so I was laying there on the floor, and at the Inside Meditation Society, the exit the exit is there and there, and uh, so I'm laying there. The exit is there, and the teacher is here. <laughs> And the teacher, very, very, uh, very nice being, uh, said like, oh, what, what's happening? What's going on? <laughs> and I said, and I, I, and, and I said, it's too loud. <laughs> it's too loud. <laughs> and... Um, and the, the teacher, a very compassionate and caring being, just said, oh, oh. They looked around, you know, it's, and they said, and they asked the, the, the yogis, is it too loud? And everybody went like this. <laughs> and during that time, I was about, at this point, crawling on the floor, <laughs> trying to disappear. So I started like this, and then I was on my four. <laughs> Time for life to come back in my um, 
in my legs a bit, and I think I probably ended up at this point standing up here. <laughs> and the teacher was like, don't leave. <laughs> and uh, so this inappropriate attention led to, you know, a whole full-blown, uh, how we call it, uh, uh, mul- mul- multiple hindrance attack. <laughs> Where I had a, suddenly, a, and, and it was very much in line with the, the teaching, like a, suddenly there was a very, very strong desire to not exist. <laughs> so I don't know when my mindfulness came back, but probably at some point I could, I could experience it. Oh yeah, not wanting to exist feels <laughs> like this, you know. And um, so... So not feeding the seven factors of awakening at that moment, but still it was a, a good um, in- incentive for practice. <laughs> you know? That was my first visit at the Insight Meditation Society. Okay. So... Um, so it says that mindfulness, there's never... Uh, there's never too much of it. That's one quality that uh, is is always welcome in any situation. Yeah. Um, a friend, uh, Temple Smith, uh, was a teacher also, and he says, I think that's he says that. Heard him say that. He says uh, it's the best strategy to meet life. Actually, it's the the best of the possible strategies to uh, to engage with life is with presence. Uh, so that we can, as you know, become aware of reactivity, uh, really feel uh, the pleasantness when it's there and see its passing, and, uh, and the unpleasantness, the neutrality in all aspects of life. So much so that it's said also that the arahants, the awakened ones, uh, um, uh, when when they uh, they they use they they keep practicing mindfulness they they their their expression of freedom is is presence is mindfulness so it's not just like a a way a tool to get somewhere it's also the expression of being awakened you know um. and so there is these four foundations these four great areas of practice of where we can put uh, our mindfulness uh, everything concerning materiality the form the body so the breath the postures you know um, the reaching and so many opportunities as we're here today and so the mindfulness is very beautiful it goes from the most grossest um, it's welcome in the most gross activity as in the most subtle. So yesterday, um, Carol was pointing to uh, going to the toilet. So in the text, it's invited to bring presence to this fullness of reality there, you know. And then uh, in the most subtle mind states, the most subtle, beautiful, uh, liberating mind state, again, it's mindfulness was, uh, was welcomed there. And in Everything in between is the feeling tone aspect, the mind states, beautiful and difficult. And um, 
and uh, the, this, these lists uh, of uh, the five hindrances, the seven factors are one of the list of things to be mindful of, the four noble truths. So that's maybe a um, segue into um, uh, the second uh, quality and first quality that is energizing the uh, investigation of, of Dhamma. Um, maybe one last thing to say about mindfulness is this um, image that um, Joseph uses sometimes that I find so uh, okay. Usually he uses a little bell, <laughs> but you will remember this maybe. So I'll put it. So our mindfulness, when we arrive on retreat, is a little bit like this. We want to be mindful, and it keeps dropping. Because, you know, past, future, I'm such a bad meditator, I wonder what's going to be for dinner, you know, all, all these things. Yeah? And as the practice goes, and we keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back, at some point, there's a thing that happens that I heard some of you described in interview. This happens. And then mindfulness is there. And then there's... I wonder what's... Oh. I should, when I go back, I should really like... Do you see? It's like, so the mind goes towards thinking, but it becomes kind of the default. There's a... The, it's, it's, we're convinced somehow, it's known uh, cellularly or some, somehow it just comes back because it's no, it knows it's the best place. There's less trouble there, you know, uh, in a way, you know, than in the creating of some world, you know, where this uh, going to end up being painful or the coming back will be painful <laughs> because the fantasy will be a kind of a dead end, you know, it will not have led anywhere. All right. So, uh, investigation of uh, the Dharma. So again, here, for me, my understanding of this that I find really beautiful, clearly uh, helpful, and um, enjoyable, exciting, is to remove the glasses of Pascal, moi, what I want, etc., and put on the Dharma glasses, whichever pa uh, pair, you want, whichever glasses you want to put on, can be the pair of the Four Noble Truths, the attention to the body, the breath, uh, the five entrances, what, what is here right now, and the studying mind state, you know. So uh, it's just this uh, turning uh, phenomena into Dharma. Into so what? Uh, into cause and effect. Into um, investigating what is the nature of this experience right now. Um, so, not um, not why did they do what they they did? This kind of questioning. Why did they do that? But more like, how does it feel to uh, have resentment? 
you know, so leaving, leaving the habitual way that we use uh, uh, thinking and attention and our time, basically, and really turning towards the Dharma. So that's this uh, 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 investigation of Dharma. And this, investiga- this quality of investigation is very, very much uh, natural in us. You see it in kids, ants, you know. I mean, even taking this example of ants, seeing ants and the curiosity, in there, the seven factors can be there. Uh, I hear, heard, or read Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu talking uh, uh, in his little... Um, corner of the world, in the, what is it, Suratani in Thailand, talking to uh, the, pe- the villagers around about the seven factors of enlightenment and using uh, farming and plowing as a, as a the way to ex- express this. And he said, you know these, you know these because when you're plowing the field, you know that you, you have to be attentive to what you're, what you're doing. You know you have to have a, ne- a spirit of investigation, like uh, how, where am I going to start the turn, how how much, if I press more, is it going to, you know, like there has to be a, this that is there and, and uh, some kind of energy put forward and enthusiasm in what you're doing and some concentration, otherwise it's not going to work. And, and uh, there has to be some calm present also and some stability of mind that is there, yeah? So all these qualities, it's not like something, it's, it's there, like every one of us have access to it, even the kid that is uh, seeing ants. Maybe there's a twist on the in- investigation. is not investigation of Dhamma, like from the perspective of the teachings and the liberating teaching and with the idea of re- uh, releasing stress and, uh, and encouraging uh, beautiful, liberating states of mind. But these qualities are there in that... Uh, and just that looking at ants, you know, there's a need for some concentration, some calm to see what, uh, what's happening. Yeah? So very natural in us. Um, for me on the retreat here, I was just thinking one form that it took was... Um, you know, there was a, a good, I'd say, a month where I put on the five aggregate glasses. And it, you know, it was not, uh, it, it, I, I took them on, you know, like it was my interest and it might not be yours. This is a the five aggregate. Some people connect with this and some don't. So you have to find which glasses you want to wear, you know, as, as you're here. But for me, it was very precise. I put on these glasses and I kept them for a month. It was very uh, interesting. I wanted to know the system, you be able to be fluent in the five aggregate, la- uh, aggregate, aggregate language as I was living my life here on retreat. And then uh, there was this interest in seeing uh, the, the passing of the aggregate and the insatisfactory nature of them, the, and the not-self nature of the, like the three characteristics. So maybe I had one lens <laughs> of the three characteristics and the other of the five aggregates. And my investigation for a whole month was just to see, are they, are they so impermanent? Is it true that pleasantness 
and unpleasantness changes all the time. Is it true that formations, things are formed all the time, that an intention arises, disappear, a new intention arises, a new intention again? Uh, is it true that consciousness passes all the times? You know? And so to, to, to live my life here in, from that frame of reference, maybe I can say, yeah? And, and, um, uh, and the discoveries that were made in there, it was clearly... Uh, helpful for me to use this. It was liberating to uh, to use that that uh, bit of the Dhamma to explore uh, this life of Pascal. You know, uh, I remember uh, going on on walks and doing the five aggregates walks. I'm bringing this back just because we talked about this. So so uh, so walking and spending just a few seconds, just being aware of uh, a form of like. Uh, materiality, like stepping, stepping, moving in space, uh, color, light, you know, just, just seeing the materiality and then, okay, 20 seconds of that, 30 seconds of that. Now let's see the perception. Yes, it's true. Things are recognized. It's known that this sensation is step. This is blue. This is green. There's this, this river. So there was the river of sensation and the river of perception always going on and then okay 20 30 seconds let's try this river is that a river of pleasantness and unpleasantness and how is that exploring that then moving to uh, uh, intention just seeing the intentionality or any formation the, the desire to stay present yeah and then the consciousness and seeing this and with uh, dedication like that starting to find like, wow, so ephemeral. I could not see this if I put the glasses down and start thinking, but next week, way back in the conceptual realm, you know, of a past solid Pascal, enduring Pascal, that will do this and will be seen like that and will achieve that, you know. And so, um, that's just one one particular way, I think, of talking about the investigation of Dhamma. It's not the whole of it, but just a snippet of a, a fellow practitioner's practice. Um. So in this example, there was a lo- it was very active, very deconstruction, very... Uh, but there's another way to use investigation where it's much more passive... Uh, you know, an example I used before that made people laugh was, um, I said, um, you know, when uh, biologists, they go and they, um, they go to um, uh, um, make research uh, f- uh, on beavers, let's say. So they go in the woods, you know, they hide in a place to watch beavers. They don't mess with the beavers, you know, they just hide and they use a lot of patience and a lot of staying, and then they start to see, you know, what beavers do. You know, oh, they come out at night. Oh, they, you know. But they don't, they don't get too involved. They stay. And so a lot of our investigation in practice, to me, seems like this. It's just this patient staying. Yeah? And in this patient, there's also a lot of silence. So we stop this tendency that we have of telling the world what it is, 
or explaining everything. And we create a lot of uh, silence so that um, the world can be revealed in its own time. And sometimes this is extremely slow, you know. But that's a whole different quality maybe of investigation, of just uh, staying attentive and letting the links make themselves in good time, you know. So that insight at some point arises completely naturally, where like, oh, things just connected by themselves. There was no active connection being done, but just the staying, staying, and then poops, things falling into place. So here is uh, Jack Kornfield and Joseph Goldstein in uh, Seeking the Heart of Wisdom. They say, what makes someone the true heir of the Buddha, what makes a Buddha is the courage and willingness to look directly and honestly into the body, the mind and the heart without relying on or settling for what others say is true. Over the years of meditation, it is this quality that keeps practice alive. That's for those of us who have some duration in our practice. This is this quality that keeps uh, practice alive. And so this ehipasiko, see for yourself, seems like it's very much an instruction um, for us. And so this uh, poem from Paul Raps, maybe, that I like, it's called Grass Blade Experiencing. This is the law. No sames. No same leaves. Pebbles, person, places, times, faces, grasses. Whoever disobeys the law gets bored. So that's the spirit of uh, investigation, of uh, I've never been here now before. What is this made of? If we're in the kind of ordinary attention, uh, habitual way of being, there's no investigation, there's no curiosity, interest for this life happening now, then there's not, uh, it's not possible to go onward. So we we have to find um, in us this uh, curiosity about life and how it comes to be like this, miserable like this, happy like this, neutral like this. How does it come to be like this? How will it unfold? How is it unfolding right now? Yeah. So another um, one of the energizing factor is uh, energy itself. Um, And so I would ask you just for a moment to close your eyes. Nothing to do here, just um, notice um, that there's vitality in you. There is aliveness in you. It manifests in all kinds of uh, ways. But there's an energy that is uh, available. And sometimes when we bring this uh, idea of energy and practice of effort... It can be, um, anyway, for me it was for a long time, um, 
and you can open your eyes if you want now that you felt that basic energy um it felt um uh, what's the word i felt a little shy a little like oh i don't know if i have enough energy you know that it's a long path it's a you know it seemed like energy was kind of something heroic and uh actually it doesn't have it doesn't have to be seen like this it's something very it's there there is aliveness here it's available right now and so how to put this uh, in motion um, and the energy required is just that this continuity that we've been talking about of uh, showing up attending to what's already there we don't even have to create anything we don't have to create the energy we don't have to create the phenomena everything is offered freely the consciousness is offered freely all the material needed for this path is offered and it's not like uh, sometimes we like even feeling miserable in some way is in the for in the context of dharma is perfect stuff to work with we don't even have to change that so just to realize oh so everything is given here plus the hearing these instructions and discourses is also something that is conditioning us as practitioner we sit here we hear that and the job is done in a way because something pops in your head you know comes in is offered freely and and it it changes it has an impact yeah and so there's also this um these uh, great um four efforts uh, that are known uh, maybe to you um uh, and they mix well with the investigation of dharma because there's a part of investigation uh, investigation of dharma that uh, uh is um recognizing what is wholesome and what is unwholesome and we've been talking almost only in these terms uh since the beginning of a retreat you know Uh, the way i think about it a lot in experience for me is how is this how is this uh, does this feel entangling or liberating that's the the words that i'm using now in my practice you know that oh this ease this acceptation has the feeling in it of liberation it has the taste in it of liberation even uh, if there is some kind of a regret something that sometimes that come some kind of a regret like a recognition that oh this was not useful even though it's unpleasant still in when i ask the question is this liberating pascal or is this entangling sometimes i can recognize yeah this is liberating it's it's uh, it's hot it's burning a bit but it's liberating yeah and other qualities i see i don't know i'm said i said is this is this entangling or liberating this is clearly entangling yeah so in the investigation of the dharma or dhamma phenomena uh there's this way to look this these lens of uh, wholesome and wholesome beneficial uh um leading onward li- li- uh, uh entangling all these these uh, these two ways and so uh, then the um, the four efforts of um that 
the four great efforts mix really well in there. They come naturally in that the efforts are the f- effort to um, cultivate what is wholesome uh, and to maintain it when it's there. So when it's there to maintain and when it's absence to invite it, cultivate it, make it appear. Yeah. So two efforts concerning what is uh, wholesome and two kinds of efforts concerning what is uh, um, unbeneficial not helpful, not onward leading, is the, rec- the abandonment of it when it's present and um, uh, the way to practice so that it, it doesn't arise again. Yeah. So in a way, feeding and starving. Yeah. So recognizing the presence of a, a hindrance and, uh, and being aware of it, being aware of the of the effect it has on the, on the body-mind is a, a way to starve it instead of getting caught in the story. We've talked about this a lot. Recognizing the presence of a wholesome state of mind and uh, wanting to feel it, not just, oh, it's there, but what does contentment feel like? What is the taste of contentment? What is the taste now of peace with, oops, this little joy that shows up and is gone now. What is the taste of that, the experience of that? This is very much uh, feeding, nourishing. So it's not like uh, I have to take this beautiful state of mind and somehow, you know, make a lot of effort. It's just to, uh, to taste it. It's actually a beautiful uh, not so demanding way to um, practice. Yeah. So another of the energizing uh, factor is uh, uh, in Pali the word is pity. We often use it uh, as we uh, talk. Um, it's often re- uh, translated by rapture or joyful interest, joyful curiosity. Um, or a way that I think of, of, of it these, uh, these days is enthusiasm for practice. Um, so an image that is used is um, of a thirsty person in the desert finding an oasis with some, a lake, you know, and all the joy that would come by seeing the lake and the energy that would uh, suddenly be released. You know? And so that's this kind of energy that comes uh, with practice and when it has some st- strength to it, it can really have an effect on the whole um, energy system. And many of you have been reporting in interview how um, perception can be altered sometimes. You know, So you say, I'm sitting here and suddenly this whole side seems much bigger or I feel really big or very small or, or there's all these alterations of, uh, or uh, there's classic um, descriptions of uh, this pity that comes more like as a bliss or ecstasy sometimes where it's known classically as the uh, either shower, showering or like a wave-like thing or like a, almost like a bolt that comes or uh, pervasive or infusing the whole body, like all the cells are uh, happy, yeah, or as lightness. And there's a sense like, oh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm this, I'm on, I'm, I might be levitating. I'm happy that I'm sitting, just, 
that was built for for levitation here. So, so you can feel this the lightness in the body. How this this energy of pity can have a very uh, uh, be very um, f- uh, physical, physically known very clearly, and um, and um, um, yeah, and also mentally, like the joy, the enthusiasm, the, the this quality, special quality of energy. Uh, that is there in the mind of great enthusiasm for practice, uh, very uh, beautiful uh, energy. Sometimes it can show up in a more subtle way that I see for me, uh, even as I'm here um, uh, with you, is um, some kind of um, lightness of heart, some kind of uh, some kind of joy and confidence in practice, some some. Uh, some, I would say, buoyancy of mind. So that uh, things, because they're seen as dhamma, as phenomena to be explored, they don't have the same heaviness as in life, the same seriousness. Yeah? And there's a joy um, in meeting them. Sometimes it, uh, for me, it has a, a taste also of uh, either courage or confidence. It's like, there's a, yeah, I can take this on. You know, even if it's has uh, a little misery in it, even if it has anxiety in it, or some some something downer a bit about it, there can be this like, yeah, let let this be known, you know. And so, uh, it's a beautiful energy that we can feel in practice. Okay, so these are the energizing factor, the calming factor. The first one is tranquility or calm. This is an experience that uh, um, many of you have had already, and some of you are, are, uh, you know, uh, experiencing a lot. It's this, this, when the discursive mind to which we give so much value in life, kind of like falls down a bit, and we can kind of taste something else. It's as as if the mind was like a lake. That has no ripple on it. No, uh, it's a very quiet lake. Suddenly, the uh, it's not so hard to keep the attention. The energy is stable, and the mind is uh, is silent, open. Yeah. And it can last uh, not too long, but sometimes has has some uh, duration, uh, and you can feel. Uh, uh, how this is a beneficial uh, quality in the mind, this quietness. And when we feel this for the first time, or the first times we feel this, it's really, it's experienced as a kind of revelation. Oh, there's an other way to live, where there's not this constant commenting on everything, organizing everything. There's this deep silence, and that's really conducive for insight, because um, things can be known much more deeply. So the mind is not so much as a cork on the surface of uh, the river like this, going in all direction, but it's more like, um, more like a rock that can really touch experience, know experience. Uh, or another image could be of um, a sponge where the attention can really... Uh, uh, as water can get inside the object, you know where there's a there's a 
it can be felt, experience can be felt in more in a more total way because of this uh, quietness of mind. Maybe a few words on uh, concentration. Concentration is several little moments of mindfulness stuck together. Yeah. So when it has duration, we can feel it suddenly. Uh, it's linked to this image I used earlier. So it, the attention is not scattered anymore. There's a staying. Uh, so you see how these uh, in experience get mixed, the tranquility and the concentration. And then the third uh, stabilizing factor is uh, a tranquilizing factor is equanimity, so the non-reactivity. So the concentration is several moments of uh, mindfulness uh, together, and with that, the experience of um, of seclusion, really beautiful experience where we feel protected. We're actually uh, the concentration when it's uh, established is uh, protecting us from the hindrances. They don't have access anymore. We could use the image of a bottle uh, of water that is a bottle that is empty. And we say Mara can come in. Anything can come in this bottle. But when there's concentration in this way, sustained attention, then it's like the bottle is filled. Nothing else can come in. So we're protected from the hindrances. This is a very, um, again, a very beautiful experience of uh, where there's this suddenly this absence of wanting something else, this absence of resistance, the absence of low energy, low interest, the absence of too much energy or doubt about what's going on, but a, a calm, a staying, um, and presence, wakefulness that is calm and and staying, and so. Um, this is very, um, um, it's conditional when the, the, it's not like we have uprooted the, 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 the misunderstanding and the greed and the hatred, but it's kept at bay. And just this is a very good experience. It's not the complete end of the path, but just the, the protection from hindrances is, uh, is beautiful and, uh, I know for myself, when there's this experience, often there's like, how oh, they're remembering there's an other way to live. There's an other way to live where the mind is not constantly slightly correcting, slightly questioning if I'm okay, you know? There's just this, oh, this ease, beautiful. There's, um, there's a version of concentration that uh, I'll use my hands like this, that is like this. Concentration that is uh, um, uh, sustained on one object, the breath, the mantra, the candlelight, the metta. The, so there's one object and all the qualities of mind are, um, are all unified towards knowing this, attending to this. Yeah? So that's one kind of concentration. There's another kind of concentration where it's kind of the opposite, I could do like this, where uh, it's called momentary concentration. 
So the mind is present. The mindfulness is there from one moment to the next, but the objects are changing. So it's not a concentration like this. It's a concentration like that, where the point uh, of the triangle that I'm trying to do here is the present moment that is uh, that we're uh, that is is kept uh, known. I would say. So it, and you have this experience sometimes when uh, there's this choiceless awareness mixed with this momentary concentration. So things are known. There's a flow of sensation in the feet, uh, you know, light, light at the at the eyes. Uh, even the eyes are closed. There's a, the luminosity is known. Feeling in the heart. Oh, this is kind of a heaviness in the heart. The joy of knowing the being present for the heaviness in the heart, you know, and so it's the experience is changing from moment to moment, but there's a presence that is sustained. It's called momentary uh, uh, concentration. So some of us will develop a concentration at some point that is one-pointed concentration, uh, and some of us will not. Uh, um, develop that so much in our practice and it's not absolutely needed for insight to arise to uh, arise uh, what is needed for insight to arise is what we called um, uh, neighborhood or access concentration it's when uh, when there is um, there is this seclusion from the hindrances uh, although it might be momentary momentary or <laughs> concentrated one-pointed, there's a this this um, this quality of uh, concentration is of uh, it's called neighborhood uh, access because it's usually the kind of concentration that is there to enter absorption, which is a special kind of concentration where uh, one gets really really uh, immersed in one object, but it's it's the qualities that are present for. Um, for the for the absorption, but we don't have to go in the absorption. We just stay present to in vipassana whatever is being known at the moment. Yeah. So this access concentration can be recognized sometimes because it cuts through discursive th- thinking, and you can feel how there's a there's a way where it's easy to actually aim the attention and sustain it. It's not an effort, you know, like aim the attention, sustain it, aim. It just happened by itself. Yeah, The energy is present. Uh, often there will be this joy of pity that is present. There's this equanimity also that is present. Stability of mind. There's no not much reactivity in the mind. Okay, it's a long list and I'm getting to the last. Um, thank you for your patience here. I'm doing this for your liberation. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, so the last quality, equanimity, is, um, is the highest uh, quality in the line there, and one of the highest uh, Buddhist qualities, you could say. Um, it's the stability of mind, this capacity that we have, that the mind has, mind-heart, I would say even, has to um, stay balanced in the changing of Form, feeling, mind states, inner conditions, outer conditions, um, the vicissitudes of life, 
praise, blame, gain, uh, loss, accumulation, separation, pleasure, displeasure, pain, uh, uh, pleasure again. <laughs> you know, so all these uh, these great winds and the capacity that the mind has to uh, to stay uh, balanced in the midst of that dance of life. Yeah, uh, this um, this equanimity is not something that we can will. We can't just will it. Okay, let me be equanimous. No, this equanimity is a result of wisdom. It's when we get to see deeply again and again the impermanent nature of experience how unreliable conditioned phenomena are how uncontrollable it is uh, uncompletely satisfying they are the more we see this the more the mind gets uh, aligned with reality as it is and so falls false expectations, false fears, knowing that when things arise, they arise out of conditions. And so the mind can uh, stay present. Yeah? Although we can't will it, it's something that we um, invite sometimes just by uh, uh, in a physical way. So we notice that there's a some reactivity in the mind, let's say, stress arose, I got all tense. And by just becoming aware of it and releasing sometimes in the body, breathing through stress, you know, breathing through rea reactivity, bringing ease in the body, I think it's a way, that's one of the door, doorways maybe of some equanimity through a, a bringing equanimity physically. That can be a, a way to feel this. But also concentration, all these factors, when they do their vortex-like dance, they will bring equanimity and we can experience it and, um, and feel it in the mind, the non-reactivity in the mind. I know, and maybe I'll finish with this on equanimity, there's a little uh, sentence that I uh, created for myself for equanimity that I've spent many times repeating and kind of reconditioning the mind. So that might be of interest to you or not. But uh, uh, this little uh, sentence that I've said a lot was, my happiness depends on my response not on the conditions of my life, not on the circumstances of my life. My happiness depends on my response. Because there was a twist, really deep, carved conditioning that if this was to happen, I would be happy, you know? I don't know if you carry some of that, you know? But that's a deep, deep, deep ingrained belief, you know? And so, for me, reminding the mind of that my happiness depends on my response, not on the circumstances of my life. And having, and having this pop up in the mind sometimes, where it, it can be very useful, it's a, it's a good thing.
Okay, so these seven factors, see their presence, see their absence, see what brings them, what makes them, um, uh, what foster their arising, see what uh, makes them depart. That is the instruction uh, of the Buddha in the Satipatthana Sutta. Yeah? I can give you a few hints. So, hanging out with calm, equanimous, mindful uh, people is a really way to make them grow. So, this is what we're doing for each other here. And I really feel it for me, it becomes really alive when, you know, I uh, leave the interview room with the agitated teachers to, uh <laughs> to go to lunch and you are coming from out of uh, the sitting mindfully, equanimously, or seemingly so. <laughs> but where there's really like a dedication to practice, the impact is immediate in my heart-mind, you know? It just settles like this. So uh, that's one, uh, certainly one way to do that. So it's these uh, seven factors that will make the Dharma become alive inside of us, be, uh, I don't know if it's the right way to say it, actualize in this incarnation, in this being. And, and that's what will open the door for us, for insight and freedom, uh, great freedom that is possible. And that's also what will make it palpable for people around us. That's how transmission is going to happen by the... Uh, experiencing these uh, factors. Yeah. So Joseph Goldstein, to finish, says, sometimes from day to day, it's from day to day on retreat here, it's easy to uh, forget what we're doing in dealing with the restlessness and aches and pain and wandering mind. But what is happening imperceptibly from moment to moment, but very progressively, surely and steadily, is the development and growth of these limbs of enlightenment. It is a very great thing that this is being done. It is the noblest, noblest evolution of mind that is being done here at this time. So let's hang out with some or all of these seven for a few uh, seconds.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.